0: And I will, I will talk to you about that. So that's great. Right, anyway, that aside, let's get straight into uh, this morning. So today we are starting a new series together. And the new series we're starting this term is about uh, us as a people. And we are going to be looking at the next, over the next eight weeks of, as our, our culture as a church community. So a culture is who you are when nobody else is looking. That's what it's like to, to have a culture so you have a culture in your family, you have a culture, you know, when you went to Christmas around your, you know, maybe you went to Christmas around a family member's house and you've got your own culture, your own way of doing Christmas. And it will be the same for us as, as churches or organisations. Every organisation, every church, every family has a culture to it. And, but you can purposefully lean into a certain way of doing things. You can say, actually, do you know what, we are going to, we're going to start developing this way of doing things. So let me give you an example uh, just in, in our own personal family life. We have decided that we want to set a culture at home, that I I want to build an altar of God in our house to prayer. So now when my children go to sleep at night, I pray and they hear me praying outside. Because I want to set a culture in our house that we seek the presence of God together as a family. So we want to seek the presence of God. We want to set a culture. So you can be purposeful about setting a culture. Does that make sense? (laughs) And so we can be purposeful about the the culture that we we set here. And so over the next um, few weeks, we are going to be talking about our different cultural values. This is who we want to be as a church community. So we want to be present-centred. We want to honour one another. We want to be a people of joy. Like, we want to have fun. Um, I think I said when I first shared this, church can be quite dry sometimes, and we can take it very seriously because it is a serious matter. Um, But at the same point, we want to enjoy God together. We want to be authentic. When you talk to somebody at church... We don't want there to be any kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, but actually your whole world's falling apart in the background. We want to be an authentic people. We want to keep moving into a culture of generosity. You know, giving at church, giving at Gateway, we don't give to get from God. We give because God's a generous God. So out of all that God has given us, in generosity, we give back. We're demonstrating the heart of the Father to those around us. We want to grow in our courageousness. There's that verse that gets repeated time and time again in the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. We want to be a courageous people, faith-filled, going on faith-filled exploits for Jesus. And lastly, we want to be a people who create a legacy. So everybody that we encounter, whether it's in this space or outside this space, the people that you encounter in your day-to-day life, we want you to be able to feel confident and bold in your faith to leave a gospel legacy in their lives. But we also want to create a legacy in our children's lives for the gospel as we move through season by season, year by year. So these are our cultural values that we want to kind of grow into. Now, you'll notice that there's seven there, and we're doing an eight-week series. So what am I speaking on today? Well, I want to speak today on, I think, a foundational element that sits beneath all of these things. And it's something that um, we care a lot about as a church, as, as a church, but also as a church movement as well. So we belong to a, a movement of churches called New Frontiers, um, and we're part of a smaller group within that called Catalyst. And we really value the teaching of the Father Heart of God. And so today I just want to talk to you about the fact that we are a people who have been adopted by God. Mm. And this foundational element underpins all of those other cultural values that we're going to go on and talk about over the next few weeks. And so, first of all, let's just have a little look at this text, shall we? And this is from Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. You can look at it on your phone if you want to. I'm actually going to speak, uh, I'm going to head into 8 and 9 later on as well. And it says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, God has made you also an heir you have been made a son. Now, women in the room, you might think that's a bit weird that I'm not saying you've been made a child, but the son part is really important because it's about inheritance. Guys in the room, you're going to have your own they're going to get your own back on you as we get into eternity because we're going to be the bride of Christ forever, okay? But we all have to accept the fact that what the Bible teaches us about sonship is that each one of us, whether we're male or female, we receive the rights of a son. And that is really important. You see, The the gospel is so amazing. God could have chosen, just in the gospel, in in the amazing truth, that Jesus comes to take our sin on himself to free us so that we might have right standing with God. That means that that there's there's no barrier between us and almighty, holy God that we can have relationship with him. That could have been where it ended. And we could have just been servants of God. And I'm I'm pretty pretty sure that most of us would have taken that deal, wouldn't you? Rather than being enemies of God. Actually, if God had just said, well, I'm just going to make you my servants... You'd have gone, yeah, all right, that that sounds like quite a good deal. But God doesn't do that. God makes you sons. God makes you sons. And that is so important that we get hold of that. Now, being a son in a patriarchal world, which is the world that this was written, but also we see, I mean, we're seeing it even now. So that that book that's coming out this week, I'm sure we've all read most of it in the, the newspapers already, that Harry's written about being the spare, yeah? He's the second son. The inheritance goes to William, it doesn't go to Harry. But we, as, as God's children, we have the inheritance. We mean that, it means that we have, it, we have the inheritance that belongs to, as sons. In the same way that Jesus is the inheritance as the son of God, we too, as God's children, gain an inheritance. So we are not, uh, we don't just have the rights of servants, we have the rights of sons. And and as such, our identity has shifted, our inheritance has shifted, and the intimacy with God that we can experience has now all shifted. Because we are sons, we have newness in all of these three areas. And I just want to talk really briefly about these. And so you should, a a lot of you will know this information already, so I'm kind of just recapping it in your mind, I hope, as I kind of talk about what I'm saying now. So first of all, you have an identity that means that you've been chosen by God's. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that you were chosen in him. Before God created the world, it says that he chose you. Maybe you don't don't really think about that. But God predestined you. He chose you. He selected you. Secondly, um, we are sons and daughters of God. Uh, Romans uh, 8 talks about that. And in fact, that's a very parallel text to the one I've just read in Galatians. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. I'm going to quote from that later on. We are heirs of God. And if you have been made a son or daughter of God, I say this a lot, that means that you become royalty. You are royalty in God's eyes. You are a princess or a prince of the living God because he has made you a son. And if he's the king of kings, then what does that make you? You are royalty. You have received a royalty on you. You are outrageously loved. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1 says that God lavishes his love on you. That's outrageous. That the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together, the one who knows every star in space and knows them each by name, can count all the grains of sand on the seashore, he lavishes his love on you, on you as an individual, and on us as a church community. We are outrageously loved. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says that you are precious to God. (coughs) You are precious to God. When God looks at you... He sees you as precious. Lastly, you are celebrated. You are celebrated by God. (coughs) So the the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, Jesus tells this parable about this son who goes and squanders his father's inheritance and he comes back home. I'll talk about this a bit more in a bit. But he comes back home. At the end of the story, the father runs to greet him and he celebrates him. God (laughs) celebrates you. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says that the Lord rejoices over you with singing. He rejoices over you. You are celebrated. So your identity is one, not of a slave or a servant, where you just do God's bidding. You are a son and a daughter of God. Secondly, you have an inheritance. You inherit the kingdom. Romans 8 verses 17, we inherit the kingdom both now and forevermore. Part of our inheritance is eternal life with Jesus where we will live and rule with him forevermore here on a reformed and renewed earth. But secondly, you have an inheritance that you can walk into now. And it's the inherited characteristics of the Father over your life. So by God's Spirit, God places his Spirit in you, and and the Spirit working in your life brings about the character of the Father in your life. So read Galatians 5, what you'll see is that the fruit of the Spirit in your life is the character of the Father. You grow in generosity, in peace, in love, in power, in gentleness, in joy, in patience. Matthew 7 verse 20, Jesus says that by by, your, by their fruit you will know them. Yes. So the children of the father is the inherited characteristics that we gain as we walk by the spirit. So we have an inheritance. And lastly, we get to grow in intimacy with God. You see, a servant or a slave can't be intimate with the master in the same way that a son or a daughter can. You have to wait for permission to enter the room of the, the master if you're a servant, but not a son. You can walk straight in, can't you? You don't have to wait outside, you don't have to get an appointment with the boss, you can walk into the presence of the Father. Ephesians 2, verse 18, one of the great Trinitarian verses in the New Testament, says that through him, that's Jesus, we have access. That's both, he says we both, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, we both have access to the father by one spirit so it's it's by the work of jesus through the work of jesus and by the power of the spirit that you can enter into the father's presence it's not anything that you've done it's because of him and what he's done over your life one of my favorite verses in the new testament at the moment is this one luke 5 verse 16 jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed see jesus was so assured of his identity as a son as the son of god that what he did is he went and sought intimacy with the Father. He he constantly withdrew to pray. There's a story about A. a. W. Tozer, um, great Christian writer. Um, you want to read any kind of book on prayer or intimacy with God? The character of God, A. W. Tozer is your guy. Anyway, he he went to preach um, at a conference somewhere. I think it was quite a big conference, and um, they got to the meeting and he was nowhere to be found. And so, I mean, I, I imagine this in, in our context. Imagine if we had a guest speaker, you'd see me at the front, I'd be sweating away. Where on earth are they? Toza's like, nowhere to be seen. And in the end, they get to the point in the meeting, and Toza's meant to come up the front and speak, and he's just not there. So somebody else ends up having to preach. And then the next day, he turns up. He sort of, it was like a conference, like a three or four day conference. The next day, apparently, he rolls into the room like nothing's happened at all. And they're like, Where were you yesterday? And he was like, I was just with the Father. It's like his attitude was such that he was so confident in his relationship with God that it was more important for him to be with the Father than it was anywhere else. Now, in some ways you could say, well, that's a bit outrageous that he didn't come and do his preaching slot that he was there for. But his relationship was all about him and the Father. And lastly, Jesus says, doesn't he, when you pray, how does it start? Our Father. Are your prayers directed to Lord, to God? You know, do we say God when we pray or do we say Father. Do we say, Father, is your relationship with God one of intimacy? So this is where we are. This is our standing. This is who we are in Jesus. I'm kind of going right, I'm hitting in quite hard here with some stuff this morning. Because I just want to talk about, there is something else that can happen though, you see. So we are, um, we we have an identity and an inheritance and an intimacy with God as sons and daughters of God. (coughs) But sometimes things can derail us. Um, Over Christmas... Jude was playing with a new Nerf uh, gun that he got. Uh, I don't know, you know the Nerf guns I'm talking about? You know they've got the the rubber bullets on them, the long ones. And um, anyway, he's playing with a brand new one. And and I'm standing, I turn my back away from him, and he's like a metre behind me. Um, So he's he's literally about where my hand is here. And he fires the gun. And it goes right between my glasses, and it hits me in the eye. And for the next day, I mean, Sam was talking about somebody with sensitivity to light in their right eye. That was me a couple of weeks ago. For the next day, during Boxing Day and the day after that, I could constantly, Claire, I drove Claire around the bend, I was like, oh, my eye hurts so much. It was really painful. To the point where she just went to me, please, can you just go and see an optician? Because like, I was being such a hypochondriac about it. So anyway, I went to the optician, and uh, and, and I went to the, the, the appointment, and I've obviously, I've obviously been to the optician before, I can't see any of you now. Um, so I, I went to the optician, and I was due an appointment anyway, and they gave me some checkups. So if you've been to an optician, what happens is, is you have like two appointments. The first is you go and see like a technician, and they do some tests with you. You put your chin on a little bit of plastic, and you look down the barrel of this thing, and you see a little air, hot air balloon in the background. Who's done that? Is anybody? Yeah. Okay, cool. You all know what I'm talking about. Great. Okay, so you're there and you do it, and then and then you get these bright flashes of light because what they do is they take a photograph of the back of your eye and make sure that your retina's still intact, which is what I was really concerned about. I thought my I thought a Nerf bullet had detached my retina, but it wasn't. It was just, just painful. Um, anyway, so yeah, and then I had this 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 test that, where they they she, they she puffed air into my eye, and she went, "Just have to wait for a minute. It's, you're going to get a, a puff of air into your eye." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And like you're waiting for it to come, and even though you know it comes, when it does come, it's like, "Ah!" <laughs> it's like, and <laughs> you like, and then it's like, "I'm going to do it again." And you're waiting there, and it's like, it's going to come, it's going to come. Like, ah! It's like it happens again. Anyway, so that all happened, and I was like, what was that about? Never had that before. Went into the optician, did the optician's test, and uh, and they do that thing, don't they? And they, you're looking you're looking at the, the different uh, sort of um, characters, and, they, and then they get a, a lens, and they say, is it better with one, or is it better with two? Is it better with three? Is it better with four? And, and the whole time you're going, they're exactly the same. <laughs> they're, the, they're, they're the same. Like, why? Are you, what are you even trying out here? You're just testing me. So... I got to, and we were chatting, I was chatting to this lady, and I, and I said, what was the puff of air thing about? And she said, well, I asked the technician to do that, because I looked at your date of birth, and you're just getting to that age now where we need to check your eyes for your eye pressure. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. <laughs> so I'm 40 this year, and she said, well, we thought we'd better check now, just in case. She said, because you will need reading glasses at some point. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, anyway, I'm telling this story for a reason. And the reason I'm telling this story is not just random. I'm telling this story because what happens is over time is that your eyesight <coughs> changes. Your eyesight changes. and um, you, As you grow through life, your eyesight gets gradually worse and it changes and it develops in different ways. As you get past apparently 45, according to people on our staff team, you need reading glasses. And um, As you get there, things start to change. Also, your eyesight can be affected by traumas that happen to you, can't it? Like my eye was with the Nerf bullet. It was really affected by it for two days. Um, I know, poor old me. Um is it's not just our natural eyesight that can be affected; our spiritual eyesight can be affected too. And the lenses with which we are used—we use to view God—can be distorted by things that happen to us in life. So, you can encounter other people in your life, other authority figures, and they can affect how you view God, but also then how you view yourself. I've just spoken about how we are sons and daughters of God. But the thing is, what can happen is, as we walk through life, we can encounter people and encounter situations that lead us away from sonship and towards slavery. And I want to talk about that um, with you. So let me give you uh, my story about this. So I was um, when I started teaching, I got this job at this school, um, and this school was like one of the best comprehensive schools in London. It was what was known as a teaching school. So it was an outstanding school, and I'd, I couldn't believe I'd managed to get this job at this school and I did this route into teaching called graduate teacher training so I basically turned up and I had a job there as a teacher and I'd never taught a lesson before so I'm learning how to teach on the job. And So I'm in this school environment, I met the head when I went for my interview, he seemed like a nice bloke, I, I went and started this job and, but very quickly the head was not a nice guy. Um, I remember sitting in staff meetings and he shouted at the teachers, worse than I ever heard him shout at a pupil, because we weren't hitting the standards that he wanted from us. He led through fear. You were frightened to put a foot wrong. If he walked down the corridor, I would walk in the opposite direction because I didn't want to look at him. I was too frightened of him. He led through fear and uh, wanting that respect, that governance respect from people. And he made constant threats to you. If you don't do this, this will happen. And our department, the art department in the school, was a good department. Compared to a lot of other uh, departments locally, it was doing very well. But it wasn't good enough for him. And so you'd get to that start. So at the start of the year in a secondary school, what happens is the first staff meeting, you go through the results of the GCSEs and A-levels. And every year, our department was pulled up in those meetings for not being quite as good as somebody else. And he would point to us and look at us in the room. And you'd get this disapproving look to you. Well, well, drama, you were amazing. And then he'd look at art. Uh, maybe next year. And, and, And it was constant. He was unapproachable. You had to book a meeting in to see him. He was a perfectionist. He was unforgiving. So I really didn't do very well. Because what happened was, is the first lesson that I taught in this school, I'd not had any teacher training at all, because obviously, as I said, I went into this job and I was... A, um, just a, just like a trainee teacher on the job and I got a year 9 group and now if you're a secondary school teacher you know you don't want a year 9 group <laughs> and I had this group of year 9 and it was a boys school as well I had this year 9 group and the first lesson all, most of these boys ended up um, in prison and expelled from the school um, I got to the end of the lesson and I thought I'd done a good enough job of crowd management nobody taught me how to do it anyway I went to put all the stuff away and realised all the paint from the cupboard was missing And then I looked outside in the playground, and to my horror, the whole playground was covered like a Jackson Pollock in paint (laughs) outside. And from that moment on, my card was marked with this head teacher. I was never going to meet the standard that he expected from me. And so for four years, I taught there, never quite good enough, and I, I ended up leaving. And when I left, I didn't get a thank you from him. I just got a, well, good luck to you in your future. But the attitude was very much, and in fact, actually, the the rep line manager said, oh, now that you're leaving here, you won't amount to anything to me. Now you're leaving, you won't succeed because you're leaving here, because this is the best school, so anywhere else you go is just going to be a downhill from here on. And so I left with a real chip on my shoulder, and I I went to prove him wrong. And I got a job in a a department, a, a college. I became the head of department there. And then a job came up at the school next to this other school, just down the road. And I took it. And I was the head of department at this school locally. And I worked tirelessly to prove this head teacher wrong. My results were better than their results. I had their teachers coming to me to be trained about how to do things. I went back into my old school to teach them about how to do art marking properly. And I walked through the doors like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing now. I walked tirelessly. It was, and it was genuinely, I felt like I was sticking two fingers up at him the whole time. Like in your face. But there's a problem. There's a real problem. You see, his authority in my life had turned me from a son to a slave. I'd given over to a performance mentality. That if I performed, it would be enough. That if I could just prove to myself that I was good enough, I I could prove to him that I was good enough. He probably has never even thought about me since. But it had a massive impact on my life. And genuinely, that, that, that view of performance had led all the way up to the start of last year. It comes up from almost 15, much, longer than that, gosh, I'm, I am 40 this year, long time <laughs> ago now. Some 18 years later, that has had that much impact on my life, to the point where I brought this idea of performance into church. I spoke about this when I gave the Vision Talk last year, about how God's moved me from thinking about attendance, buildings and cash, the three performance markers for churches, towards discipleship, evangelism and fellowship. Because God doesn't care about performance. Why? Because God's my father. He's not my boss. He's my boss. He's not my boss. He's my father. So my boss led through these ways. But God isn't a boss demanding results. He's a father who's chosen you. He's a father who's chosen you. Now, we have to kind of claim this, you see. Because otherwise what can happen is, is we can drift back towards, away from sonship and back towards slavery. Galatians 4 verses 8 and 9 The follow-on verses from the verses I read to you earlier says this, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? The Galatians were turning back to the law and away from grace, but we can turn away from sonship and turn back towards slavery. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You see, circumstances in our lives, we can have these trauma moments where something bad happens to us. It can be a trauma in our family. It could be maybe the way that our parent, because it's not, you don't just learn about Father God through your father. You learn about Father God by any authority figure in your life. And those, those authority figures, if they're good, they can impact your view of God positively. But a lot of the time, authority figures in our life end up traumatically affecting the way that we view God negatively. And it can lead us back into slavery and away from sonship. We can go back from being sons and daughters to being slaves all over again. Like the Israelites in the desert, where were they tempted to go? they come out of slavery, where did they want to go back to? Slavery. It's better for us to go back to Egypt, they said, than be stuck in the desert eating this flipping manna every day. And then you've got the story of the prodigal son, which I mentioned earlier on. And in this story, the prodigal son goes out and he... Um, he goes out to, to make his own, his own path and he blows all this money and he ends up eating pig's will. He's gone from being a son to being a slave, to being a servant. And there's a verse in it and it says he came to his senses. He's eating this pig muck. I'm a son, what am I doing here? And then he goes, maybe it would be better if I go and be, at least be a servant for my father than stay here. So he goes back again and he finds that his, son, his father welcomes him back. We can go back to slavery and away from sonship. We have to walk into our identity as sons and daughters of God. 1 John 3 verse 1 says that the Father has lavished his love on us. And, 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 and he says this, and that he says we are children of God, and that is what we are. And it's like this idea that you have to claim it for yourself and take ownership of it. You can't just say, oh, I heard a message once. Somebody preached a message on the fact that I was adopted as a son or a daughter of God. Okay, yeah, I know I'm adopted. It's not just head knowledge. It has to become heart knowledge in your life as you own it every day. That is what I am. I know I'm a son. That is what I am. I'm a daughter. You have to claim it for yourself. And just as we were, as I was preparing for today, I just felt, I'm, I'm drawing to a close now. I know, I know time's, time's sort of almost there. But as, as I was preparing for today, it's interesting some of the messages come through this morning about healing somebody prayed in the prayer meeting this morning about deliverance as well. And I just feel like some of us are walking in slavery, even though we're sons and daughters. And I just want to show you, uh, share a table with you. And you can have a look at this. I'm going to pick out a couple of bits on it um, for you. I'm hoping you might be able to see this. Um, this, this is a, a table that kind of demonstrates what the difference is between walking as a slave and walking as a son. So If you walk as a slave, your image of God is to see God as a master rather than a loving father. If you walk as a slave, your outlook on life like mine was. I shared you that story. I became performance-driven rather than walking in acceptance by God. I was trying to prove myself to other people rather than knowing that God has accepted me. If you walk as a slave, you live by the love of law rather than the law of love. If you have a motivation as a slave, your duty in earning favour from God is your motivation for doing all things rather than enjoying and delighting in God. As I've walked away from this performance-driven mentality, it's completely changed the way that I relate to Father God. I love spending time with God now. It's not a duty. I'm not trying to perform for anybody. I just want to spend time with Jesus. It's the best place to be. Why wouldn't I want to be there? I will make more and more time to pray because it's enjoyable, I'm not trying to do it out of duty or obligation. I'm not trying to earn anything from God. I'm just enjoying time with my father. Your self-image changes as you go from being a slave to being a son. You, you, you don't seek comfort in doing stuff. Too many of us, speaking directly, too many of you seem to think it's okay, that busyness is something to be proud of. You think busyness is something that you can be proud of. Oh, well, I'm just so busy. And it's like this view of self importance. Well, I'm so I'm 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 important because I'm busy. No, you're important because you're a son, you're important because you're a daughter. Peer relationships. You see, if we walk as a slave, what happens is in our peer relationships is that we are jealous of other people and we gossip about other people if we're walking in, in slavish behaviour, yeah. rather than rejoicing in others' success. And lastly, when we, if we're walking as slaves, when other people fail us and they do things that we don't like or we disapprove of, if we're walking as, as slaves, what happens is, is that we make accusations, we, we try and make ourselves look good and others look bad, and we're slow to forgive others. Whereas if you're walking as a son or a daughter, what you do is you seek to restore others in a spirit of love, and you're quick to forgive other people. You see. but we can all do this. We can all walk towards slavery. And it may well be that for for you today, you might just look at some of those things and think, yeah, that's the one for me today. And my encouragement to you is that not just to hear this message (coughs) once, but to let it start to ruminate in your life and say, okay, how am I walking into spiritual sonship, spiritual daughtership? So as I've read through that list, maybe there's an area there that God has spoken to you about. And what I want to do is as we finish today, I just want to pray for you. Um, there's a song, there's a worship song, and it has this line in it. I don't have to prove a thing because you've already approved of me. Jesus approves of you this morning. This is not a, I'm not standing here as a moment of condemnation saying you haven't done something. I'm saying Jesus has done it all for you. Walk into your inheritance. But I believe as you do that, God wants to deliver you from some slavish thinking and slavish behaviour. So let's just, as, we, as we close, we'll do that now. Lord Jesus, I, I know that in my own life I've walked on the journey of this. Jesus, I thank you that you're taking me from slavery to sonship. And um, Jesus, I thank you that you've shown me things in my past where, that have affected my view of you, God, as my Father. And Father, I thank you that we're accepted and loved by you. Father, I thank you that we have not been given a spirit of slavery, but we've been given a spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. Father, I pray for anybody in this room today who just needs to be delivered from slavish behavior. I pray right now for your deliverance over their lives. Just speak the love of Jesus into you again today. The one who celebrates you, the father who rejoices and embraces you. As you come to God, he is not tutting at you or looking at somebody else and saying, well, you should be like them. He is looking at you and saying, I love you. I have chosen you. I have called you to be mine. The Father delights in you this morning. He delights in you. Father, I pray for anyone here who's like me being performance-driven rather than just walking in their acceptance in you. Lord, I pray for a release from that right now. Father, I pray for anybody whose self-image is one of self-rejection. Lord, I pray that they might know value to you, Father God. They might know that they are valued to you, that you value them, that you cherish them, That they are the apple of your eye. Father, I pray for anybody here this morning who slavish behaviour has led them to uh, have negative peer relationships with others and, and is just cynical and hurt and bitter about wrongs that other people have committed to them. Father, I pray that they would walk into freedom and love and acceptance this morning. Father, I thank you that you make us sons and daughters and not slaves. So Lord, I just pray your blessing over... Over, over our church family over the next few weeks. Lord, as we go through this culture series, Lord, this is the key value. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, would you help us to walk into it? Amen. Amen. Just as I finish, um, can we? I'll just put the last slide up for you. If you want to read two books on this, the first one is, is called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonships by Jack Frost. Um, not Jack Frost, is a great <laughs> name, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredible, but really, really good you want to read about that, I mean, quite, so that table that I gave you at the end is from that book. The other one is a book that I've read recently called Discipleship Begins With Beholding. If you want to get close to God, read that book. I I read it on a plane back from America, so I recommended it by somebody when I was in New York, and I was in tears the whole way. I looked like such a Wally. I was on this plane crying my eyes out. Oh, I'm so right. (laughs) If you you want to encounter God, just encourage you either of those books would be great. Right, well, we have really run over. Children are out of (coughs) that.